So the illustration that I'd like to kind of share with you, if you could put that photo up there, the glass. Is it half full? Is it half empty? I'm sure you've been asked that question before. Are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? And I think sincerely all of us would like to think of ourselves as being an optimist. I mean, who wants to be known as a pessimist? Like, like, hey, I'd like to introduce you to my girlfriend. She's a pessimist, you know? It doesn't, it doesn't really work. In fact, the word pessimist kind of sounds like it's something that an exterminator should be dealing with. You know what I'm saying? So here's the definition of a pessimist. It's a tendency to stress the negative and the unfavorable and to take the gloomiest possible view. While an optimist is one who's defined as one who tends to be hopeful and confident. I like that, hopeful and confident. I said earlier that that probably would be a great name for a a whitening toothpaste product, right? Try Optimist. It it really makes your white teeth, or your teeth white, rather, or something like that. But there's a a, a TV commercial. I haven't seen it in a while, but maybe you've seen it. It kind of blurs the lines between optimism and pessimism, and it's about a guy who's in the wilderness, uh, a desert actually, and there's sand dunes all over, he's hot, he's thirsty, you see he's almost, you know, exhausted, and he comes upon a chest of bottled water. Now, you would think that that would make him really, really happy, right? Not so. It's just plain water, and he, and he, and he be- begins to just become unhinged And then suddenly from above, there's a man in a helicopter who tosses him a cherry-flavored additive, and now he's rejoicing and he's happy. His his sadness has turned to joy, his pessimism to optimism. I don't know about you, but I don't want the way I view life in all things through the lens of my circumstances. See, I really believe that all of us, including me and you, we, we all want to live above our circumstances, don't we? And, you know, the Scripture says that God is the God of hope. And, and, and I, I believe, because God is eternal, that therefore God is the eternal optimist. Um, if, you, if you think about it, then, then we who are his children ought to reflect the nature of our Heavenly Father, which is optimism, Right? And uh, let me just say this, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, I am grateful that you're here today, and I suppose maybe you're giving Jesus a first, a second, or maybe even a third look, and that that is an awesome thing, and my hope and prayer is that you will discover just how precious and beautiful Jesus Christ is in his love for humanity, that he gave himself so that we might be rescued from sin and death. Now, here's a reality check. While we all like to think of ourselves as being an optimist, the majority of the people I find in this world, out of the, what, 7 or 8 billion people, right? And I don't know them all, but, but, but the tendency is to be negative, to be, to be gloomy, to, to, to be pessimistic. And that's, that's just a fact. That's the way things are. And in the second book of the Bible called Exodus, that brings out this aspect of man's nature in a very strong way, in, in a way that you can't argue with. Here, here the, the children of Israel are, are slaves in Egypt, and God sends Moses to rescue the children of Israel, right? And uh, ten miracles are, 
are uh, used to, but by God to demonstrate not only his power for his people, but also to show the Egyptians that he is the one true living God. And uh, yet, in spite of that, the whole book of Exodus is filled with their complaining and their murmuring. Uh, even though God supernaturally protected them in the daytime when they walked through the to the desert, it was a pillar of cloud by day that protected them from the heat of the sun and the light that that, that could just burn your scalp, uh, your skin up. Uh, at night, God provided a pillar of fire over the camp, right? And it was light to them at night, and it was warmth to them in the cold desert. And yet, in spite of that, they murmured. They wanted to go back to Egypt. They said, we were better off when we were slaves in Egypt. They, they, they kept thinking about the things that they used to eat while they were in Egypt, the leeks and the onions and the garlic. And, and yet... Yet God fed them with manna on a daily basis with bread from heaven. Do you realize how much bread it must have required for God to produce in, 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 for two and a half million people? Listen, not, not just for uh, a, a week or a year, uh, but for 40 years God faithfully fed them with this thing called manna from heaven. And yet they loathed it to the point where they were offensive to God. They, they, they were complaining about God's leadership. They were complaining about Moses' leadership. They, they just had this cynical, critical spirit in them, and it was revealed uh, there in the book of uh, Exodus. Now, you may know some whole groups of people who are like that. Uh, maybe their nationality kind of falls into that kind of frame of mind, or maybe whole families. It seems like, you know, everybody in the family, they never have anything good to say. Even the family dog barks and growls at everything and everyone, you know? The glass to them is always half empty. It's never half full. And the reality is that because of the fall of man, we've all been negatively impacted by the fall. We have been marred by sin, each and every one of us. Man's default mode is, is set on pessimism, on, on, on looking at things through a gloomy <coughs> perspective. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, it's like, like the zombie apocalypse is upon us. Uh, the Russians are coming. The economy is going to crash. It's the end of the world as we know it, right, is, is the kind of frame of mind that we find ourselves in in, in, in this culture, in this world. Uh, the news that's fit to print most of the times is, is negative. And it's about things that are bad that are happening in the earth. You hardly hear of a, <clears throat> a really uplifting good story. See, complaining comes really easy for the human race. And apart from grace, even we who are followers of Jesus can fall into that, into that temptation or into that mode of being negative as well, and we've got to fight like crazy because we need to fight against negativity because we believe in a God who is sovereign and a God who is faithful and a God who is loving. And the good news is that God, for those of us who are followers of Christ, has provided a way of escape, and it begins with the way that we enter into the kingdom of God. Peter says in 1 Peter 1 3, he says, We have been born again into a living hope. Some translations have it as lively hope. In other words, it's not just a thing. It is, it is something that comes from the very heart and person of God. And that gives us a completely new perspective. We have a new nature 
in Christ. We're being changed and conformed to the image of God's Son. And if God the Father is the God of hope and God the Son modeled that hope, then, then likewise we're to model that hope. We are to be an advertisement of the hope that is within us. That when people see us, that we should ever be ready to explain to them the hope that we have through the gospel. This is what the Apostle Paul meant in uh, Colossians 1.27 when he said, Christ is in you the hope of glory. You see, when the person of Jesus Christ comes into a human heart, he brings with it hope, the hope of glory. And it's really hope for the present as well as hope for eternity that we have in Jesus Christ. When Jesus comes in, he leaves no room for pessimism or for, for, or for a gloomy perspective. He, he transforms the way we think. And I'll tell you what, if we can change the way we think, we'll change the way we live. And that's why the Bible says, don't be like the world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So let's talk about just why this is so absolutely important for every single one of us to not only have hope, but to grow in hope. And there's a way I'm going to show you how we can, we can increase in hope, just as we can increase in faith, so likewise we can increase in hope. For those of you who are not that familiar with the Bible, there's a book in the New Testament, and I want, I want to preface that. It's called the book of Hebrews. And it sounds like, well, if it's Hebrews, then it's, oh, no. No, it was written in the first century to Hebrew believers and Hebrew non-believers as well. And it, and it kind of rehearses some of the history of Israel in the Old Testament, but it brings it into New Testament perspective, New Testament eyes. Uh, better promises based upon, upon a better covenant, that the old covenant has been taken away and a new covenant has been established, that there's, that there's a better priesthood, there's a better sacrifice, and everything about the new covenant is better than the old. But then we get to Hebrews chapter 11, which... Theologians and pastors have called it the Hall of Fame chapter. That's where the writer talks about the MVPs of the Old Testament. Uh, these extraordinary acts and deeds of faith that, that were done by ordinary people who got a hold of the God kind of hope and the God kind of faith that we're talking about this morning and were able to do extraordinary things like the walls of Jericho falling flat, women receiving their dead raised to life, uh, the mouth of lions was shut. It was a reference to Daniel. Uh, they overcame armies, and, and they did all these incredible things because of faith. Now, Pastor, you're not talking about faith. You're talking about hope. Yeah, but I want you to see the connection between hope and faith. Hope comes first, then comes faith. And hope is as important to faith as, as your car engine is to your car or your cell phone battery is to your cell phone. You ain't going nowhere, and you ain't talking to anyone if you don't have either one of those two. Uh, so I want you to see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. The apostle emphasizes this from the very beginning. And he says, now faith <clears throat> is the substance of things hoped for, or the essence of things hoped for. Faith comes, and then hope. Is the, is, the, is the power behind the faith that's initiated. And this faith is called a living faith. It's uh, called lively faith. And uh, God has placed this within us. Uh, it highlights some of the different people here. I'm not going to go over that. But it says that Abraham, uh, against all odds, and I believe that Doug spoke about this a few weeks ago, against all odds, 
hoped that he might become the father of many nations. And he did so. See, this thing called, called hope, it's like an anchor upon the soul. Uh, it secures us to the unmovable and unshakable God. And uh, having to grow in faith are like, like creating the ropes that, that hold on from the anchor to, to, to God himself. And that is so important. I remember my wife reminded me uh, earlier that there was uh, a story told by Andy Stanley who uh, was on a vacation with a, a group of people on a sailboat and a storm was coming. And uh, it was actually a hurricane. And they, they led into a cove and they, they, the skipper just tied down the ship with so many different anchors all over the ship. And in the morning when the storm had passed, uh, there were so many other ships that were in that same cove that were wiped out, but their ship was unmoved because the anchor was secure. And when our anchor is securely fixed in God and who he is, in his sovereignty, in his faithfulness, then no matter what we go through in this life, we will not be destroyed, will not be shaken. All these desires that we have, uh, they're good desires, but there's a world of difference between wishful thinking and this biblical kind of hope that I'm talking about. I was watching a chopped uh, show the other day. It's a Food Network show. It's a competition where chefs compete to produce the best dish, and, and they're judged on that. And this one judge, you could just see he, he, he was late in getting this souffle in the oven. And he's looking in the oven, and he's opening the oven. And, and, and as a result, what, what he said was, I, 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 when he was going to present this to the judges, he said, I, ho- I hope the souffle is cooked. He knew it wasn't cooked. He didn't have enough time. He got it in too late. And that expression of I hope is just, is just wishful thinking. It's like people say, well, I, I, I wish I, I, get, I would get married. I wish I'd have children. I wish I'd get a promotion. I wish I could retire. But it's just wishful thinking unless it's rooted and grounded in what God has said. Where there is no hope for the future, there's no power for the present. Where there is no hope for the future, there's no power for the present. I want you to consider with me David. See, th- th- this kind of hope has a confidence and a, and a conviction and an expectation. David, the psalmist, like I said earlier in the first service, we know more about David probably than any other character in the Old Testament, maybe besides Moses and uh, Abraham. A lot written about them. And there's a lot written about David. And David, we see his ups and we see his downs. We see the many trials that David went through so that he would write many of the afflictions of the righteous. But the Lord delivers him out of them all. And and we have, listen, his heart must have broke to discover that his son Amnon was killed by his firstborn son Absalom. And if that wasn't a heartbreak in and of itself, or that wasn't bad enough, by itself, then Absalom turned his hand toward his father David to take his throne and to take his life. You talk about a storm raging in David's heart. So listen to what he says in Psalm 42, verse 5. It says, why? So downcast, O my soul. Why are you so disquieted? He's talking to himself. He's directing his mind to speak to his innermost being. Why are you so discouraged? Why are you so downcast? I mean, are you kidding, David? 
You've got so many reasons to be discouraged. I mean, look at the way life is treating you. It's hard on you. You're going through sorrow. You're going through the grieving period in so many different ways. But then, like a a sailor who lifts the sail of his vessel to catch the wind, to bring direction to that vessel, David says this as he speaks to his heart once again and says this, put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him. He's directing his mind to his soul, to his innermost being, to, to, to trust in God. Put your hope and your confidence in God, for you won't be disappointed. Listen, it's easy to be optimistic when everything's going well, when all your bills are paid, when the skies are sunny and blue all day. It's easy to have a, 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 a just a great disposition there or a, uh, a cheerful disposition. The question is, how do we respond in times of difficulty? When the storms of life threaten our very existence, how do we respond to those storms? See, discouragement, we all know, comes easy. It comes too easy uh, in this broken world. Uh, To the natural man, optimism is not natural. It's not instinctive. He sees the glass half full. So what are we to do? But in Christ, we have hope. And he is the hope of glory that fights against our negativity or our pessimism. When we place our trust in the goodness of God and in the sovereignty of God, that holds firm to a God who is unshakable and a God who is unmovable. And that becomes the lens through which we see and perceive life. It's, it's not gloomy. It's, it's not negative at all because God is in control. See, if you belong to Jesus, if you've given your heart to Christ, God wants you to know that you belong to him, that you've been bought with a price, with the precious blood of Jesus. And his desire for you, for every blood-bought child of God, his desire is for you to be gripped and captivated with the certainty of the hope that is in Jesus Christ and to rejoice in him, to be completely satisfied with all that Jesus Christ has accomplished. See, what David realizes is that it's not instinctive to the human heart to be optimistic or to be, or to be hopeful. And so we've got to preach to ourselves. We've got to speak to our own hearts. And I've said this on many, many occasions over the years. The best message you will ever hear will be the message you preach to yourself as you build yourself up in the most holy faith. You trust in God. You you trust in his sovereignty. You believe what the word of God says about God, that he loves you, that no one can pluck you out of his hand. And when you do that, you're solidifying, you're making those ropes tighter, that your hope is being built up in God so that when the storms come, you will not be discouraged. I love this following quote. It says, all discouragement and depression is related to the obscuring of hope. Something gets in the way of our hope, and that is our circumstances. We need to get the clouds out of the way and fight like crazy to see clearly just how precious Christ is. Christ in you, Christ in me, creates in us an optimistic, a positive point of view 
that our Heavenly Father has us in the palm of his hand. I want you to see how we can grow in faith and how we can grow also in hope. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says this, and this is what, this is what the Apostle Paul wrote. It says, for every word that was written, that is scripture, every word from the Bible, every word that was written was written to instruct us so that through endurance and encouragement of the scriptures, what's the result? We might have hope. We might have hope. And it's very simple, folks. The more of the word of God you you pour into yourself, the more of the word of God you meditate upon, the more of the word of God you study, the more that you see Jesus Christ revealed in the scriptures, the greater will be the measure of hope that you will possess. Just as faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, so likewise, hope is built up in us the more we have the word of God in us. In the same chapter, the apostle Paul prayed for those that he wrote to in Rome, but, but he, you know what? This has been a prayer down through the centuries, through all generations of those that call themselves followers of Jesus. And he's praying for us as well. And you know what? The apostolic prayers, and there's, there's a couple of dozen of them in the New Testament, apostolic prayers are the revealed will of God for your life and my life. Listen to what Paul prayed. May the God of hope, great title, Fill you with all joy and peace. The results of having hope coming from God is joy and peace as you trust in him, as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God doesn't want your glass to be half full of hope. He wants your glass to overflow with hope. Those that have no hope makes the heart sick, and it's a sickness, that's a darkness that you don't want to have. Let me say this, that at the beginning of the pandemic nightmare, like so many other families, our family was thrust into a life-death struggle. I will never forget the day both my wife and I had COVID, I tested positive, she tested negative, but her symptoms were far greater than mine. I I did not handle it badly at all. And while I was, uh, uh, what's what's the word where they put you away? Uh, In prison, no, uh, no. Uh, I was quarantined. Uh, My my wife, I, I mean, I'll never forget when we called 911 because she couldn't breathe. And, and, you know, they, they, they say if you've ever been in that situation where you, you, you don't feel like you have enough breath, uh, that you can't catch your breath, you know, so to speak, it's the scariest thing in the world. And my wife had gotten to that place where she couldn't breathe well. So we called 911, and as I'm watching the EMT driver take her down the steps and then into uh, the ambulance. My wife says, could you, could you please take me to St. Catharines because it was only about two miles away from the house. And he said, no, ma'am, you're going to Stony Brook. You need to go to Stony Brook. And I am so grateful that he overruled her desire to go to a closer hospital 
Because as we began to see things falling into place and God orchestrating our very footsteps, uh, Leticia, who was here in the earlier service, is a nurse at Stony Brook, and she was able to give us almost an hourly progress report. She was able to go, even though she wasn't on the same floor as my wife, she, was, she found favor with her, her boss, who, found, who found, was, was best friends with the uh, n- nurse that was in charge of the ICU. And she was given full access to, to my wife's room. Uh, on March 27th, happened to be my son's birthday. That's why I, I remember it. Uh, I got a, a call that, that, that went directly to my cell phone, and it was a voicemail, but I didn't see the voicemail first or hear the ver- voicemail first. I read the, trend, the transcription of the, of, the, of the voice message, and, and I still have it on my phone today. I, I will always keep that as a reminder of just how much God has done for my family. He said, Mr. Vincent, we, we have your wife, Kathleen. She's come down to the ICU because she was having such a problem uh, breathing. We, we had to put her on a respirator. And I'd like to talk to you about some consent forms. And when he said that, when he said, I want to talk to you about some consent forms, that is, I'm reading that, it's like the ground opened up and, and I started just caving into this pit. I mean, it was the worst day of my life. But in, in the midst of that pit, the Holy Spirit spoke a verse of Scripture to me from one of the Psalms. And I held on to that throughout this whole six-week period of time. And that is... You shall live and not die, but testify to the works of God. Back in March, there were so many people that were, that were dying from COVID-19 that in a city in the hospital, you may have heard this, that they were storing the bodies in refrigerated meat trucks. We found out that, that 88% of people who were placed on a respirator never made it off the respirator. Add to that fact that my wife had double pneumonia and two antibiotic-resistant infections that they couldn't find the right antibiotic for. I mean, she was in bad shape. And I say she was in bad shape because being on a respirator for 12 days, and and that's how long it took. They tried weaning her off that and and, to to put her back on. And then finally, about a day or two before Easter, she was able to breathe the oxygen uh, with very little help off of the respirator. But she still needed a miracle. You see, 12 days of sedation has a profound effect upon the human body. She couldn't move. She couldn't move a leg. She couldn't talk. She had an area of confusion or delirium. As a result of that, she didn't understand what was going on. She didn't know why I wasn't there, why, why I couldn't be there. And on Easter, she was watching, through the help of Letitia, the live stream of the service. And she was trying to sing along. Now, she, now I, I had video of her 
trying to sing along because, because while she was watching the live stream with her, with her cell phone, Letitia was, was providing me with FaceTime. And, and she looked just so, uh, so weak. She had a, a feeding tube up her nose and down her throat. And, and she was trying to sing along, and all she could do was make sounds. And she needed a miracle. I mean, even though she was off the respirator, you know, th- there, was so much, there was so much concern for us. Is she going to be the same? Is she going to come through this? Is she going to be okay? Some of you may have been a, a participant in uh, Doug calling together uh, a caravan of uh, drivers going through Stony Brook Hospital, praying not only for my wife, but also praying for the, for the staff at that particular time. Um, many people were praying. You know, on, on the telephone between my children and, and their spouses, we would, we would have phone conferences. We would be praying. We would be encouraging each other. We would say, hold on, you know, trust in God. And God was so good to us during that that time, and I'm not saying it wasn't easy, it was hard, but we never lost hope, and you know, even Doug, he brought, he brought boxes of Dunkin' Donuts to the hospital staff, I thought, well, maybe that's the key, you know, (laughs) getting my wife back again, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, my wife, uh, my daughter Kelly actually reminded me of a verse, uh, or a prophetic word, rather, that uh, a visiting ministry spoke over her some years before, and, and it was, with long life I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. And so we had, we had multiple words of promise that we were holding on to, and when we would, we would put God in remembrance of what he said, that's the way that you pray. You, you pray back the word of God. You, you, you say, God, you said this, and you're not a man that you should lie but you're faithful to fulfill all that you promised. You see, hope provides for us, no matter what the circumstances are, a conviction. It's a, it's a moral certainty that what God has said will come to pass. And I said this in the earlier service, and I never said this to my wife before, but even if the Lord had taken her home, it would have, it would have been hard I don't remember the word that I used in the first service. It would have wrecked me, and I know it would have affected my kids. I mean, they were all praying, my grand, 11 grandkids praying. Uh, but it would have been a loss for me, but it would have been a win-win for her because Christ, the hope of glory, dwells in her. And to be in glory, to, to be in the presence of the Lord is the ultimate destiny for each and every one of us. And while we're not yet made perfect, perfection is in our destiny, and we're headed toward that. It's because we have hope in Christ who is our life. Now, you may have, you may have heard <clears throat> someone say, well, as long as there's life, there's hope. And it's, and it's like, I kind of figure, it's like this thin little string that they're that they're using that phrase, as long as there's life, there's hope. But I'd like to tweak that, and I'd like to say where the life of Christ is, there's a hope that is unmovable and unbreakable. See, we have, 
We have a logical explanation as to why we should trust in God no matter what our circumstances are. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 8. If God be for us, who can be against us? If God, who did not spare his own son. Now listen, God didn't spare the angels who sinned and left their first place of habitation. God didn't spare the ancient world but destroyed the world but rescued Noah. God did not spare the children of Israel who sinned in the wilderness. You know, the greatest God did not spare is that God did not spare his own son, but freely delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? If that doesn't produce in us confidence to know that God gave us the very best that he had, his son, to redeem us, to rescue us. Now, I spoke to you about about God rescuing my wife from COVID-19, from double pneumonia, from sepsis infections. But the greatest deliverance that anyone can ever have is to be rescued from sin and death. Now, there's a, a couple of folks that I know of personally that are in the hospital right now, people that are related to, to members in this body. One is Joe Lutz Sr., who is it was 85 or 86 years old, and uh, he's in ICU. <clears throat> he's, he used to be a pastor, retired, and I just want to pray for him. And also Katie uh, Rivera, her mom, is also in St. Catherine's Hospital with the same uh, condition that's going on. Thank God she's not on a respirator. But I just want to pray for them in just a minute. But before I do, I want to give you an opportunity. You, you heard me talk about how awesome Jesus is and how much that he loves each and every one of us, that he rescued us. He gave his life. He suffered immensely so that we might not suffer but have eternal life. If you'd like to do that, would you just kind of bow your head with me and pray something like this? It's not magic words. It's the extending of the heart toward God. Just say, Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, that you are the Savior of the world. I place my trust in you to cleanse me from all sin, to fill me with the Holy Spirit so that I can overflow with an abundance of hope now and forever. If you prayed that prayer, would you, would you reach out to, to either me or to someone on our staff and just tell them, you know, t- today I, I made that decision. I'm no longer giving Jesus a try, a look, but I'm giving Jesus my heart. Um, Now, Father, we lift up prayer for uh, Katie Rivera's uh, mom, and we pray, Lord God, that you would bless Katie's mom, that you would rescue her the way you rescued my wife. No matter what the circumstances may look like, God, you are faithful and gracious to all that call upon your name. And then we lift up Joe Let's sing you to you, O oh God. Would you, would you likewise extend your hand, O oh God, to heal that through the name of your Holy Son, Jesus, that his life would be restored, that his health would be restored. I just got to tell you one, one, one last thing before I, I head out the stage. One of the, in fact, the PT and the nurse who came to our house for about a month after Kathy was released from, uh, from uh, rehab, said, you know what, You're the, you were the sickest COVID patient that I had, but you were restored the fastest. 
That has to be God. Do not exclude God out of the equations of your life, for God is faithful. Amen? Amen.